Let's pray. Lord, You love us that much that You wait for us. You love us that much that You come here and meet with us. You speak to us. You listen to us. Help us now to listen to You. In Your name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday I introduced a a new sermon series that Pastor Ridley and I are going to be teaching. It's going to basically be around the the theme of what do you look for in a church or what should you expect from your church. And I shared with you that we're going to use something that Martin Luther wrote called the seven characteristics of the church. And I want to tell you for a moment the the reason why he wrote these things. See, uh, until Luther's time, the the question had been fairly uh, simple. What is a church? They had said a church is the Roman, there's only one church, it's the Roman Catholic Church where you're subject to the Pope. But then, and, and and if you wanted to be saved, you had to belong that church. And in some form or another, that's still basically their teaching. And, you know, the, uh, the, that worked fine until uh, the Luther came and the Reformation happened. And suddenly there were these people who were going to Lutheran churches and the, the loyal Catholics said, well, you Lutherans, you're not a church because you're not following the Pope, you're following that heretic, Luther. And so Luther decided to study the Christian, study the scriptures, and to seek an answer to the question: What constitutes church? What is the church? And his study of scripture took him to seven characteristics of the church. We, we looked at one of them last week, the Word of God, the foundation of the church this week. We're going to look at the second one, the sacrament of holy baptism. Next week will be the sacrament of holy communion. And, and then we're going to talk about confession and absolution. We're going to talk about public worship and praise. Right? We're going to talk about the pastoral office. And we're going to talk finally about the possession of the holy cross. Suffering. Luther said, well, you have these seven things. There you'll find the church. Well, this week we're going to start with the second mark. That when, you, when you're looking for the church, you will find it as a community of baptized believers. One of the things that surprised me in my study this week is that Luther didn't want it, didn't thought that the creed would, would better be written not as a holy Christian church, but as a holy Christian people. Because the church was so misunderstood in his name. In his day. See, a lot of people, and, and, and that's, that's important. In fact, that's why this mark was, was actually earth shattering for someone, for someone to say in the church of his day, and in some ways today, because so many people misdefine what that word church means. Many people in, in Luther's day and today think of the church as an institution, or the church is a physical building. Or they think of it as an organizational structure that has 
priests and bishops and monks and cardinals. Some would say, well, the church is a business. That's kind of common in our day. Luther would say to all that, that's silly. You don't have priests, bishops, monks, and popes for their own sake. For that matter, you wouldn't have church buildings for its own sake. You wouldn't have church business for its own sake either. All these churchy things exist because you have baptized people gathered together around faith in Jesus. So I want you to think for a moment what that means. And I want you to think about, to understand that, I want you to think about the text we're looking at, which is Acts 2, which Gordon read today. And I want to kind of take it to the larger context of Acts 2, because at the beginning of Acts 2, we're told that you have all these different people with different languages from different parts of the Roman world gathered together in Jerusalem, and they're there for the festivals. And, and in fact, Acts 2 takes place on the day of the festival of Pentecost. And Luke tells us that that day there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Now, Gordon, aren't you glad that wasn't one of the readings today? I know Jim was glad at the first service. Suddenly, all these different people hear some uneducated Galileans speaking in their Individual languages, and they're amazed. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And then they ask the most Lutheran of all questions, what does this mean? Peter stands up to answer, and he preaches his first sermon, and it's such a powerful sermon that Luke tells us that when they heard it, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, what is it that cut them to the heart? Well, Peter ends his sermon by laying an accusation of great sin before them. You crucified the Son of God. And in fact, he would lay that sin at your doorstep and mine, because as rebellious sinners, we are as guilty as they are. Our sin, we nailed Jesus to the cross. But with them we cry out, Brother, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of of Jesus Christ. Now how can baptism be the answer? Well this morning I want you to listen to Peter describe the great thing that the Lord does through baptism. First, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and here it is for the forgiveness of sin. 
See, in Jesus, the one thing that divides us from God and that can destroy our relationships with each other, the one thing called sin is taken away. Listen to this text from Ephesians chapter 2. By His death on the cross, Jesus Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, thus making peace. See, Jesus made a a great exchange. He took your sin and my sin and the sin of the world upon Himself. It was nailed with Him to His cross. And in return, in baptism, He has placed into your hands that gift which He won by His death and resurrection, that gift that He paid for with His own blood, the forgiveness of your sin. So that your sin and mine need not ever divide you from God or from anyone. See, by Peter, I love in his epistle, he says, baptism saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You were buried with Christ and raised with Him in baptism so that now that, that fact that you're standing there in Christ says to God, you must forgive their sins because they're all paid for. How can baptizing with water do such great things? Peter goes on, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive, here's the second gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, we, folks, without the Holy Spirit, you and I would never come to faith. The Scriptures are real clear about that. Listen to this passage from Acts chapter 1 Corinthians 12, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Or look at it, it goes on to the next passage. It's earlier in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we Receive not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. It's only because of the gift of the Holy Spirit given in baptism that you and I have faith. The Holy Spirit brings you that faith. He keeps you in that faith. You learned this in Luther's small catechism. I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ or come to Him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the Gospel, enlightened me with His gift, sanctified and kept me in the true faith, even as He calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. See, in baptism, the Holy Spirit 
bring, takes different people and brings us together as God's holy, baptized people. It happens in our text. So I pointed you out that at the beginning there were all these different people from all over the world that spoke different languages. Look what happens by the end of the text. With many other words, Luke tells us, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves in this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. They weren't a bunch of different people anymore. They were a family. And they immediately started to act differently. If you read on in Acts chapter 2, look at what you find. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. You know, that's the real miracle of what happened on Pentecost is that moment in baptism. It's not the tongues, it's the fact that all these different people are suddenly God's people. Family. Folks, that's the work that God does here. This is a congregation of different people who come from different places, from Illinois of all places, and Texas, Arkansas, Africa, Japan, China. We wouldn't know each other were it not for God's grace in our life, were it not for faith in Jesus, were it not for God baptizing us into the faith. And folks, it is my prayer that you and I would realize that that's the work that God wants to do through this place. He has placed fishers in the most, get this, the most diverse community in the United States. He's given us a place to start in our preschool. Come to some of the events in the preschool. It looks like a mini United Nations. God wants to do that work of bringing people together. Do you understand now why Luther called baptism one of the marks of the church? Literally, baptism is the watermark of faith. I hope you know what a watermark is. It's an image put in the background of important documents to mark them as genuine. And if you look on certain dollar bills, you can see the watermarks in the background of the dollar bill, it's to protect against counterfeit. Well, the Holy Spirit in baptism, the, the Holy Spirit is the watermark by which God claims us as His own genuine people, by which He assures us that what He did in Christ, He did for you and me, by which He says all the promises of God are promises He makes to you. Peter says it here in the text, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. So what should you look for in and expect from your church? You should expect your church to be a community of baptized people who treasure, 
who value, who understand, and who offer this wonderful gift called baptism. This gift by which God makes us His family. Listen to Luther one more time. God's people, or the Christian holy people, are recognized by the sacrament of holy baptism. Wherever it is taught, believed, and administered correctly according to Christ's ordinance. Amen? Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting. Amen.